Good morning. Please take your hymnals and stand and turn to page 281. 281. Jesus says, we'll sing the first, second, and last verse. First, second, and last. Number 281. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the seas and cross the today. Hope there's been a time in your life where you recognize that you were a sinner. You couldn't save yourself. No way possible, impossible to save yourself. And you repented of your sin and cried out for Jesus Christ to save your soul. Oh, how wonderful it is to be saved. He said, preacher, I don't understand any of that. Well, you've come to the right place because we're going to talk about what it means to be saved in our message this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who saved us from our sins, who saved us from the penalty of our sin, to be separated from God in a real place that was not created for man, but for the devil and his angels. Thank you for that salvation that's so, so rich and so free and that we enjoy and we're so thankful for. Oh, we praise you this morning for our salvation. We praise you, Lord, that we grow in the grace and knowledge of that salvation and our sanctification. We praise you, Lord, that someday we will see you face to face when we're glorified with you. Oh, what wonderful day that will be when Jesus I shall see. Oh, what a wonderful day it is today to proclaim the goodness of God and how he wants to save mankind. I pray Christ will be glorified in everything we say and do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you. Have a seat. So good to have you this morning. Visitors, so good to have you today. So good to have our dear friends Bill and Emma Kimmler, friends of the church and members of the church for so long. So glad to see you folks and glad you're here, even on this rainy day in Florida. It's good to be in God's house. Amen. We'll just remind you a couple things, men. Uh, Brother Eric wanted me to mention, you folks who go to the nursing home on Sunday, it'll be at 2 o'clock today instead of a normal time. 
So 2 o'clock instead of the normal time, which will give you a heads up about that. Also, don't forget, men, we will have our, our men's breakfast uh, tomorrow morning at the 43rd Street Deli at 9 a.m. Same time, same place. I hope you join us. Of course, our Wednesday night services, you can see the, all the times and places for that on that on, in your bulletin there. Uh, looking forward to that, of course, on Wednesday. The men's Bible study at 7 p.m. in the fellowship halls. We're, going, we're finishing a book called The Tender Warrior. Uh, a wonderful book, a great book that I encourage. If you've not gone through the Bible study, I encourage you to get it. It's been a blessing to us. You can talk to Brother Bob back there uh, and Brother uh, Eric. I know they've been encouraged and blessed by it. And thinking, thinking of men, we're having our men's retreat uh, coming up this coming Friday. Today is the last day to sign up. I emailed the lady who's over all the registration said, tell them to lad, today's the last day. I go get the food on Monday, so today's the last day. So if you want to register, if you want to go, you still have an opportunity today. If you need any information about that, please see me. I'll tell you how to do that, help you do that. i even do it for you if you want me to, to get you to go. But I promise you we're going to have good food, good fellowship, but most importantly, great preaching by Pastor Joe Arthur. He was there speaking last year, and it was a blessing. I promise you, promise you, if you go, you will not regret it, and it will be a blessing to you. Looking so much for that. Uh, coming up March the 2nd, we'll have our visitation that we had yesterday. Can I share a praise with you? You know how it rained all day yesterday? God answered a prayer, and it didn't rain the whole time we were on visitation. He opened up a window, just a space, a, a space of weather, so it didn't rain a, a drain a drop on my bald head and Brother Eric's bald head on last y yesterday, and we were grateful, weren't we, Brother Eric? We were grateful, and ladies, y'all were grateful too. Y'all didn't know you had your umbrellas. I saw that. But coming up, Missions Conference, Bruce Humbert, he's been here before. He'll be a blessing. The Calvary Quartet will be here on that Sunday night, the 3rd. Uh, that day after church, we'll have an international potluck. You say, what is that? Fix food from where you're from. Wherever you're from, fix food and bring it, and we will all enjoy it. And we're looking forward to that. There's a sign-up sheet there in the back. Hope you sign up for that. Of course, the Missions Conference, that whole uh, uh, Sunday through Wednesday. That Wednesday night, we'll have the Michael Shaver family. They're missionaries to Iceland. Ladies, you have your uh, ladies' Phoebe tea and testimony coming up Friday, March the 8th at 6.30. And don't forget, um, there on the back, we have our, our, our directory. If you're new, new to the church, new friends, new members, uh, if your name is not in there, please put your information in there. If your information has changed in the last couple of years, we're going to try to get all the information in the, on that directory so we know how to uh, mail things out, get a directory done. So it's very important we have the right information. So please check that directory there on the back table. Brother Keith. Right, the choir is going to sing in times like these.
please stand and take your hymnal and turn to 484. 484. A child of the king.
basically. All right, as you're making your way back, please take your hymnal and turn to 216. Number 216, Dwelling in Beulah Land. We'll sing the first, second, and last verse. Number 216. we're there right now. Someday, physically, we'll be there. How wonderful that will be. Brother Eric, would you pray for our tithes and offerings? Amen. You may be seated. 
band. Thank you, Miss Robin. So thankful for all our musicians. Miss Robin, Brother Keith, the choir, add so much to the service. So grateful for all of them. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Last week we began basically a two-part sermon on the persistent pursuit of the practice of purity. You got all that right? <laughs> I say it again. The persistent pursuit of the practice of purity. And this is part two of that series that we're in. Colossians chapter 3, and let's read starting with verse 10. Colossians chapter 3 this morning, starting in verse 10. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of, of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing you one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Gracious Father, oh, how wonderful it is to read your word, to know your word, to study your word, to meditate on your word. How wonderful it is. It is our delight. Oh, God, help us to know you more. And we know you more by knowing your word. Help us, Lord, to abide in you. And you will abide in us. I pray you bless today as we, uh, as we share your word, as we proclaim your word. Help me, Lord, to say exactly what you'd have me to say, Father, as I try to flesh out your word to help folks understand it. Thank you for the work you've done in my heart thus far and the work you will do through your word and through your spirit to those who hear. Give us ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week's sermon was primarily focused on verses 5 through 9. It touched on basically what Christians need to put on, off. Paul used the strong word of mortify, to destroy, to kill uh, those things which, de which defeat us, those things which discourage us, those things which divide us. And uh, those are, this, we talked about in depth uh, the need to do those. And those particular sins that we struggle with uh, so, so, so much, we see in verses 5 through 9. But now he begins to talk about the importance of putting on those things. If you just take one, things off, oh, that leaves you in a pretty bad, pretty precarious situation just to take things off. What are you going to put back on? And so what is the next step in our persistent pursuit of the practice of purity? Well, first of all, in verse 10, if you'll go back and look at that, it says, and put on the new man, which was renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Christians, first of all, if you have your bulletins, if you're taking notes, Christians have the spiritual responsibility, first and foremost, to grow in their relationship with Christ. How horrible would it be to see a baby born and that baby stay the same size, same shape, 15, 20 years later? 
Oh, there would be something wrong. We would know there would be a problem. And dear friends, so it is physically there would be a problem, so it is spiritually. When the Christian does not grow, there's a problem. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a sin. There's, a, there's a, an, an issue. There's a, there's a problem in the person's life that has to be dealt with. Or else that, that child of God cannot be nourished. If they're not nourished properly, they can't grow properly. They can't succeed pro- pro- properly. They will fail, surely. So we have, and letter A, and once there's a once for all action, that is salvation, or we call it justification. The moment, the very moment you were you saved, just like that very moment, a very time, very place, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. As I mentioned in the very beginning, you recognize the fact that your sin, all of sin, and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Then you recognize the fact that they, and God, God in His love sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sin. And recognizing that fact, we turned from our sin and repentance and placed our faith in Jesus Christ, our our Lord. That's, that's salvation. That's a one-time event. It's not something you do over and over and over and over again. I hear people sometimes pray, say, when I ask them, have you been saved? They say, well, I do that every night. No different. It's not doing it every night. Jesus Christ was crucified once. Amen? You need to be saved once. Once. Salvation is a place and time in the history of your life. When was the day you're saved? You say, preacher, I don't know. Well, then have you been saved? Have you been saved? It's not, a, it's not an every night thing. It's a once in the history of your life opportunity that you have to be saved. When was that time and place? If I was to set you down over a cup of coffee and maybe some good old barbecue down the way, and I would say, say to you, friend, when was you saved? Could you tell me? Could you tell me the time? Could you tell me the place? You may be, may be off for a little bit, because the older you get, I understand the harder it is to remember things. I, I do understand that. If I had a nickel every time I went to look for my cell phone, my keys, my wallet, brother, I'd buy me a brand new Harley, Brother Kelly. Just go ahead and buy one. <laughs> Pay a cash for it. When he asked me, yes, I would ask my wife. Yes, I would ask my wife. Yes, I would. I made that mistake before, and I learned my lesson. But you know what I mean? How wonderful it would be, how wonderful it is to know you're saved. And the Bible says here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth, O Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God is raised from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Do you know you've been saved? And again, if I'd asked you, could you say, yes, I've been saved. I know there's a place and time. I remember where it was, maybe with mom or dad or brother or sister or preacher or deacon or Sunday school teacher. I remember where it was, how it happened. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the preaching of the cross to him that perished is foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. We were out yesterday, Brother Eric and I, walking down this old road talking about salvation, and they looked at us like we had two heads. What do you mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to know Christ as your Savior? We tried to explain it to them, tried to carefully, through the Scriptures, tell them what it meant to be saved. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't grasp it at the time. We pray that they, someday they will. But not only is it a once-for-all once action, justification, it's a progression of our spiritual growth, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We see in verse 10, that's sanctification. That's sanctification. It goes from justification, a once-in-a-lifetime once event, to sanctification, and that's a process. It's a process of growth. 
And if you read Romans chapter 6 and verse 7, Paul, he illustrates with his words how difficult that is. Sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back. Sometimes it's four steps in front, five steps back. But it's a process of growing. And you're not growing sometimes when you, you know, like a little child who begins to walk. You begin to crawl, then begin to walk, and then they go back to walk, crawling for a little while. Then get back to walking, then they start to falling. But praise God, oh, praise God. When that day they started running, that was a different day as a parent. Remember? When they could walk and they began to run, then you said, oh, boy, we're going to lock everything down now. <laughs> they start running. Woo, how, how life changed when the kids started to run. Oh, it's a wonderful day when the Christians start to run. They no longer need baby food. And they begin not only just to intake the word, they begin to share the word of God. Oh, how wonderful it is when folks used to come to me and say, Now, preacher, where in the Bible is that? Now they're going to other people, telling them where it is in the Bible. That's a, dear, that's a day. I'm a dear friend, where are you at in your spiritual growth? See, you could be 80 years old, saved at 15, still baby spiritually. You shouldn't be. And I've seen folks 17 years of age, 18 years old, age, probably 80-year-olds, spiritually speaking. It's not, it's not about the age. It's what you take in and what you apply to your life. Where are you at in your spiritual growth? It says put on the new man. This word new is an interesting word. It can be used in two different ways. It can be new in time or new in quality. Yes, we're saved at a specific time, but now, praise God, we have a... A, a, a new quality about us. We're different now. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Have you become new? Are you different now? How is that process of spiritual growth? How? Through the knowledge of God. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, may be made conformable unto his death. Oh, Warren Wisby said, We were formed in God's image, deformed from God's image by sin, but through Jesus Christ we can be transformed into God's image. What's the goal? The goal for each one of us, dear, dear friends, is to be, is be like Christ. It's Christ-likeness. It's to, it's to be, as, we, as we live in this life, though we struggle with sin, yes, we still have that old, that old sin nature, is, is, to, is to know him more, and by knowing him more, to love him more, and to grow and to love other people more, to get rid of our selfishness, and to focus on others, and that, bring, that brings joy. Jesus, others, and you. How wonderful it is to know Christ by learning his word. And that's the only way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As I look in this word and I see myself in this mirror, which is the word of God, I see myself and I recognize I can't, I can't be that way no more. I can't act that way no more. I can't talk that way no more. I can't go to the same places I used to be. Used to go. I have to be different now. And as I read it, I recognize I need to change. That's, that's why, if you want to change, friend, it's impossible to change without knowing the Word of God. This is how you. This is how you grow. Hey, ladies, would you go to the mirror on tomorrow morning and look at yourself and say, "Well, I'm I'm good with that. I'll just go on like I am." How many of you? How many of you usually change something about yourself? When I go in the mirror, I have to spend hours working on my hair. I mean, it just takes me time, time, and time working on my hair. Oh, it used to when I was these guys' age over there in the corner. 
But now it's a little bit different. Things haven't grown. They departed. Like the parting of the Red Sea is gone. Oh, how it is in the spiritual life, though. We grow. We grow in our, in our life. First of all, Christians have a spiritual responsibility to grow in the relationship with Christ. But secondly, as we see in the next verse, who we are in Christ. We're unified as in one. In verse 11, it says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew nor circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So first of all, we are, we are, we are one in the church. We, say, we, we don't say, if somebody says to me, uh, where do you go to church? I say, well, we, don't go, we go to the church of, uh, of Joe and Chuck and Pat and Angie and John. No, I don't say all that. And I said, where do you go? He said, North Gainesville Baptist Church. So I don't give like 25 different names, but I, after about 10, 15, I'd, I'd, I'd maybe forget. But we're one in Christ, though we are different. We come from different places. Some far west, some far north, some far south, all over the place. Once you know Christ as your Savior, we are a body. We are one in Him. We're one. Oh, we may look different, may act different, may have different languages, may have different temperaments. But in Christ, we're one. The Bible says about the church, Ephesians chapter 5 or 25, Husbands, love your wife even as Christ also loved the church, the local church, and gave himself for it. That's physical church, not the universal body of Christ. But Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, And, and I, John, saw the holy city of Jew, Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Spiritually, though, in that situation, as a body of believers, all around the world, one faith, one baptism, one body of believers. We will come down with him. What a great day that will be. So we're one in the church, but secondly, we all come from different backgrounds. As I mentioned, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor, nor, nor Greek nor Jew. First of all, there's no racial barriers. We're all the same. Why? For God so loved the world. Amen. The Bible says in Titus, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Jesus is not just a Savior for the Americans. He's a Savior for the whole world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. Amen? Praise God. Jesus loves all of us. Secondly, neither is there circumcision nor uncircumcision. There's no religious barriers. Circumcision, as we've talked about before, was a sign of the covenant relationship between God and the Jewish people of the Old Testament. But our circumcision, though we may have physical circumcision, naturally, as men, is not a sign of our relationship with God. Salvation or new birth is the sign today for us in our relationship with God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 30, seeing, as, seeing it as one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And what, was, what was Paul saying? Whether you're circumcised or undersized, so uncircumcised, whether you're Jew or Greek, it makes no difference. There's no religious barriers. Number three, in Christ there's, there's neither a barbarian or Scythian. There's no culture barriers. The name barbarian used to describe a type of people who were inarticulate or st had stammering speech. They were despised by the Greeks because they were not cultured like the Greek people were. The Scythians, above all barbarians, were hated and feared. They were nomadic folks who were notorious for their savagery. So there's no cultural barriers. 
whether you be educated or uneducated, whether you come from the one side of the tracks or the other side of the tracks, it makes no difference where you're from. It makes a difference if you're poor. It makes a difference if you're rich. In Christ, we're the same. In Christ, there's neither bond nor free. As I mentioned, no economic differences. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20, let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. Are thou called to be a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. In Christ we're all servants of the Lord. Again, no matter where you come from, may it be noble birth or not so noble birth, where you have much or have little, we're all in Christ, servants of the Lord. Amen? I read that this last week that in Carthage in A.D. 202, Perpetua, a young woman from a noble family, and Felicius, a slave girl, from both saved were faced martyrdom for Christ. And as the wild beast came to destroy them, they locked hands and together in Christ faced the wild beasts and were martyred for the Lord. Dear friend, we're, we're all one in Christ, if you know Christ. How wonderful that is. Our differences, dear friend, and thank God that we have differences. That's what makes up the church. Different people from different backgrounds, from different places. Our differences should not divide us. Our differences should enhance us. Our differences should enhance us. So Christians have spiritual responsibility to grow in their relationship with Christ. And secondly, we are who we are, who we are in Christ, are unified as one. But thirdly, this morning, therefore, we who are saved need to act like we're saved. And this is the meat of the message this morning. It's the put-on principle. The put-on principle. As we see here in verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The word here, first of all, says in verse verse 12, put on, therefore, as the elect of God. I don't let that word elect uh, make you afraid. God doesn't choose one person over the other. Salvation is for everybody. But by the grace of God, those who recognize their sin, God gives them the grace to choose the Lord by faith. And I hope you've done that this morning. And that we're holy, we're separate people, we're beloved, we're loved by God. We who are are elect and holy, beloved of God, we who know Him, now that we're saved, talking about that sanctification, that growth in Christ, that need to change from what we used to be, that no longer are we people full of anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication. No longer are we people filled with covetousness and evil concupiscence. No longer are we caught up and fornication and uncleanness and inordinate affection. No longer are we caught up in those things, but we choose to mortify those things, to say no to those things, to be different now because Christ is in us. And dear friend, outside of Christ, you don't have the power to do those things. But now in Christ, with the Holy Spirit in you, and the Word of God is your guide, and brothers and sisters, a church to help you and to encourage you. I don't know why anyone would try to be a Christian and live outside the church. Oh, how dangerous that is. It says, put on these Christian qualities. What are they? First of all, bowels of mercy. You say, what in the world is that? Or bowels is the very center of our being. When we hear good news, or we hear very bad news, your team lost last night, 
or last week, it hits you sometimes where we say, in the gut, in the very center of our being. From out of the center of our being, we should show mercy, pity, compassion. When you see someone who is struggling, from the very center of our being, from the, our very bowels, from our very gut, for who we really are, out of compassion, you should want to stop and help someone. You should, want, you should want to care some, for someone. You, want to, you should want to help someone. That which is in you, which, which is the Holy Ghost, will encourage you, will, will help you, will guide you, to lead you, to share the gospel with someone. You ever been in a situation where you, you're supposed to live someone a gospel track and you pass them by? And the Holy Spirit whispers to you, not audibly, but you can sense it, go back and give that person a track. Oh, how many times has that happened to me? Well, I've, walked, I've had that track in my, in my pocket, and I went by the register, I went by somebody, and I should have given that person a track, and I just sense it, oh, I've got to go back, and I've got to give that person that track. Or you see someone who's struggling, difficulty, and you start to go down a certain way, and you remind it, and the Holy Spirit reminds you of what you're supposed to do, and you go back and do that which you know you should do. Or in a situation when you're starting to do something and you're going around, down the wrong path and you recognize what you're doing is wrong and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you start to go back the other way. Amen. It helps you to do what you sh He helps you to do what you should do and instructs us and leads us from doing that which we know He knows would destroy us. That's why it's so important to have a clear conscience. See, if you don't have a clear conscience, you can't be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. You're walking in the flesh, dear ones, friend. And when you and I walk in the flesh, we start going out there and doing all kind of, making all kind of bad decisions. One after another after another. That's why we have to walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, there Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Hasn't God been merciful to us? Where would you be this morning, dear friend, without the mercy of God on your life? Where would you be? What road would you be? What town would you be? Would you even be alive without the mercy of God this morning? Oh, he says the bowels of mercy, but secondly, like it, kindness. That means gentleness and goodness towards others. The kind person is concerned about his neighbor's good. Is he about his own? The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 35, but Love ye, but love ye your enemies, and do good, lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and shall be true to the highest, for he is kind unto the thankful and to the evil. You say, man, it sure is easy, easy to be kind to that neighbor. Man, they're always friendly. They're coming over and checking on me when I'm sick. You know, they're, 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 they're concerned about me. They, they even write me a card for, on, on my birthday. Man, they even brought me a Christmas present. But that other neighbor on the other side now, whoo, those dog, that, that lady has a dog and that dog barks 2 o'clock in the morning. A little bit more difficult to be kind to that person. When's the last time you went to that person and say, hey, everyone, we're having a special meeting on Sunday. See, if they get saved, get right, that dog may be quiet. You ever thought about that? You better be going over every, every chance you get. <laughs> oh, dear friend, how we need to be kind. Not just to those who's easy to be kind to, but also to the evil. It wasn't Jesus kind. I mean, kind to those who, who were, were down and out, kind to those who were disciples. He, kind, he was kind. I think about David and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was an well, offspring, of course, of his best friend, Jonathan. But Mephibosheth got injured, was, was, couldn't walk, was crippled. But David the king, even though 
technically, Mephibosheth could have been a king, could have been a prince in Israel. He could have been, he was, could have been an enemy. What was David? He was kind to even those who could have usurped him. It brought him to his own table. And he ate of his own table. Are we kind to other people? When you go out through this community, are you kind? Do you care? Do you show compassion? Do you show love? Do you show kindness? Thirdly, humbleness of mind. The chief trait of those folks who are lost, who he used to be, is pride or a haughty spirit. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest upon your soul unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A spiritual man is a humble man. Likewise, ye younger, as we read this morning, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You want something to be used in a great way? Resist your pride. Your pride is your way. Your pride is your selfishness. Your, your pride is your plan, your goal, your dreams, your, your way. Resist all that. Die to all of that. And let God give you his dreams, his goals, his plans, his wants. And I promise you, if you choose to do that, what he has for you is a whole lot better than what you choose for yourself. If you'll just say, Lord, I give my life to you, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, whatever you want me to be, I'll be, I'll be available for you. How different your life will be. When he chooses your schedule, you don't choose your schedule. You say, Lord, I give this day to you. Use me as I follow you. It says meekness. Meekness is closely related to humility, but it's not weakness nor spinelessness, but rather the willingness to suffer energy, injury instead of inflicting it. It was said Moses was the meekest man who walked the earth. He had great power, had great responsibility, but he humbled himself and used his knowledge and ability and talent in a humble way. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you through a reason of the hope that lie within you. What? With pride? I'm saved. You're not saved. With arrogance? Oh, I know better than you do. No, it says with meekness and fear. Oh, dear friend, how gracious we ought to be when we meet someone. Not we're better than someone else. Because, but by the grace of God, there go I. But by the grace of God, Brother Eric, I'm sitting there in that wheelchair, crippled with a cigarette in my hand, and somebody's coming to my door knocking on it and telling me how to be saved. As Brother Eric and I got to talk to a young man, an older gentleman yesterday, a veteran, who was lost. That could be me. How can I be so, Eric? Oh, that, that, that poor soul. Oh, dear friend, he is. He needs to be saved. But I'm only saved by the grace of God. Thank God I am where I am, but it's only because of His grace. It's nothing I've done. Oh, long-suffering, how we need that. Patience. Patience is the opposite of resentment and revenge. It's the characteristics of Christ Jesus Himself. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me, first Christ Jesus, show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to those who should, should therefore believe on Him to life everlasting. Wiersbe wrote, it's good to be able to get angry, but this is a sign of holy character. But it's wrong to get angry quickly at the wrong things and for the wrong reasons. Have you got, have you got upset quickly for the wrong things and the wrong reasons? The team didn't win, and that just ruined your whole day. Been there, done that. <laughs> 
uh, the, the, the waitress didn't cook your meat just quite right. It, it ruined your whole evening. Uh, been there, done that. <laughs> uh, somebody at church didn't shake your hand. You, you, sure, you thought sure they'd shake your hand. And just, you know, just supposed to, and they didn't. Oh, been there, done that. You get angry, you get frustrated, and it ruins your whole day. Mm, how more important it is to be patient. Isn't God patient with us? How we need to be patient with other people. Just like they're struggling spiritually, we're struggling spiritually. We're all in this process of spiritual growth. Never should we look down our noses at other people because they're struggling. We should pray for them and encourage them and help them. Because, again, only by the grace of God, is that not me or you down there who are struggling? How we should help them and encourage, them, encourage others. Forbearing one another. This word literally means to hold up or to hold back. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation or sacrifice or payment through faith in his blood to declare in his righteousness the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Oh, and we're supposed to forbear one another, hold up one other, other people, but even more so it says forgiving one another. How important that is. We talk about that on a regular basis. The reason why we talk about it so, so much is because it's needed so much. We need to be gracious towards others. If you have a quarrel against somebody, if you have, a, if you have ought against, against another person, forgive them how much? Just like Christ has forgiven you. Let me ask you a question. How much has Christ forgiven you? A little bit? Some? Or all? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us all our sins, right? So different, let me ask you, well, how much are you supposed to forgive them? Oh, so-and-so cut me off. I'll forgive him a little bit. Or you write them down in your little black book and you never forget them. Oh, so-and-so, they did something good for these folks in the church. They didn't do good for me. I'll hold it against them for the rest of their life. Just wait that get the opportunity. When they croak, I'm going to say something in their testimony time. Whew. Would you let me know before you get up? <laughs> Could I preach after that? <laughs> How long are you going to hold that against them, friend? Till you die? How, how, how long does God hold your sin against you? Forever? Oh, dear friend, you go to him even though you've lied how many times? Even though you've lusted men a million times, probably more. How many times have he forgiven you? Every single time. In humbleness, in meekness, go to that brother and sister in Christ. Not someday, to how about today? If the Holy Spirit right now is bringing someone across your mind, that's the person you need to get right with today. Before you go to bed, do it today. Forgiving one another, of course, the chief end of all of this. It says, and above all things, verse, verse 14, above all these things, put on charity. What is that? That's love, which is the bond of, of perfectness. That's it. That's the complete. That's the end of it all. Romans chapter 13, verse 10, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. The second commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh, dear friends, if we just love, how do we other people know? How does the community know? How does your neighbors know? How do your people at work know that you're a Christian? By how we love one another. So how is that? Can your people next to you in, your, in a house that's just a little, bit of, little bit away hear you fighting and arguing like a bunch of crazy folks? 
and say, man, those folks told me last week they were saved. They're, they're arguing and fighting like some crazy folks who just gotten, they just were drunk or crazy or mad. Well, I thought they said they were saved. You know, even the world knows the Christian's supposed to be different. When I was growing up, I knew Christians supposed to, you know, I knew Christians, first of all, I used to go, Christians went to church. I wish more Christians do that. Uh, Christians went to church. I know they didn't smoke and chew and run around with those who do. Because mom told me all the time, if you want to do right, better quit smoking, quit chewing, and hang around those who do. I knew their life was different than what mine was like. I knew a little bit about that. I know they didn't cuss. I knew they, did, I knew they didn't go to some places that I saw, I saw some people. I know their lives were different. And I was an unsaved person, but I knew something about Christianity. You know the world knows something about you, too? And they expect you to be different, too? And dear friend, we should be different, shouldn't we? We should be different. Putting all these qualities produces peace. As we see here in verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. So to the which ye also are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Because we've done all these things, we've said no, we've mortified the flesh in those areas which Paul said, you need to mortify, you say good, goodbye to, quit doing, and, and not just take off those things. But then put on the things that I mentioned, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, and loving one another, and being long-suffering, and meekness, and humility, and kindness, and bowels of mercy. Put those things on. Doing those things, well, you know what it does? It produces peace in your life. It produces peace in your life. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth. <laughs> the world can't give you good peace. But I Give, but give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. Dear friend, you can be in the most dire circumstances, in the most difficult of, of situations, but being right with God, you have peace in the storm. Because you're living in the very will of God. The will of God may be some, some foreign field like some of our brothers in South Africa or in the Philippines. Or the folks who we're going to see in a few weeks on Wednesday night in Iceland. And Iceland, mm, pretty desolate up there. <laughs> Not a whole lot of independent Baptist churches up in Iceland they can fellowship with. But even in the most desolate, even the most hostile situations, being right with God gives you peace. I wonder this morning, do you have peace? Or are you still struggling to put off some of those things you should have put off a long time ago? Oh, that thing which you knew was wrong 25 years ago. You're still fighting that one thing. Mama told you don't do it. Wife told you not do it. Husband told you stop doing it, but you're still, you're still struggling with it. You're still fighting it, and it's, 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 it's destroying you. Once you put that off and put something else on, and God will change your life. You see, if you don't put things, if you don't take things on, put things back on, you'll go back to the old things and even worse. It's the biblical principle of taking things off and putting things back on. Jesus himself talked about it in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Then he saith, I return to my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. He took all the bad stuff off. I'm getting all those bad things out of my life. Preacher said, the Bible says, get all those bad things off. What am I going to replace it with? Better replace it with something good. Because if you don't replace something good, something worse is going to come in. And what does Jesus say? 
He says in verse 40, 44, Then saith, I will return to my house, and whence I came out. Then he come, he findeth the empty, swept, and garnished. Verse 45, Then he goeth, then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so he it be also unto this wicked generation. He's talking primarily to unsaved folks. But dear friend, the same principle is with us who are saved. You, you get saved. You get happy in Christ. Start thanking God for what's going on in your life. But those sins that you struggle with for, before salvation that you know you should be not doing anymore. You say, well, I like that sin. I, you know... I know it's wrong, but it's my pet sin. Nobody knows. God doesn't care. And you've lied just both, both those times. Folks know, and God cares. But I don't want to take it off. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. Then, dear friend, what happens is you won't grow any, any further than where you are right now. Your life can't change. To the degree you obey the light and the truth of the gospel, he'll give you more light. But to the degree you say no to the light and the truth of the gospel and the word of God, he'll give you no more light. And you'll be in the same, same place spiritually the rest of your life. Because you say, that one sin is my pet sin. I'll never get over it. I'll never forgive old so-and-so. I'll, I'll never get rid of this pet sin. Then you never grow. And that's why Christians come to church just like ours. 60, 70, 80 years old. But spiritually, they're 15, 16. They're teenagers. They're teenagers. Because they've never grown in their spiritual life. Because they've never obeyed the light and truth that God gave them. You can have a... a see, God, God wants to give you a new life. He wants you to walk in different ways. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. God wants you, He gives you a new motivation. As you look at the word of God, you, 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 you dwell, you feast on the word of God. You hunger for the word of God. You can't get enough of it because that's how you grow spiritually. You, 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 the word of God, of Christ, dwell in you richly with all wisdom. And you gain, you gain knowledge, you gain wisdom, and you begin to grow. You have a new motivation, then you have a new ministry. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You begin to grow in the Word. Then it gives you a new ministry by telling others what you've learned. And thirdly, you have a new master, verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. You say, Lord, not my way, but your way. Whatever I do, wherever I go, give God the glory. Give my life to him. Dear friend, God wants to give you a new motivation now that you're saved. His word, a new ministry. He wants you to take what you've learned and share with other people. And thirdly, he wants you to have a new master. Jesus is not just your savior. He wants to be your Lord. Will you allow him to be the Lord of your life? In every area of your life, say, Lord, in every area of my life, you tell me not to do this, not to go down that path, not to, do, not to live like this, I'll do it. Because Lord means master. Oh, that we as Christians would say, Jesus, you are the master of my life. Whatever you say, whatever you do, Wherever you want me to go, however you want me to act, how do you want me to live, that's what I'll do. You know what would happen? Our lives would be radically changed. 
Our households would be changed. Our church would be changed. Our community would be changed. Our state would be changed. Our country would be changed. If we had some Christians who just said, Lord, you are Lord. You are Lord. And I'm just not going to say it. I'm going to live it. I'm going to live it. How about you? Is Jesus just your Savior? Oh, I'm glad he saved me from my sins. I'm so thankful he is. But is Jesus your Lord? I'll follow him. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll, I'll follow him. I'll follow him. Whatever he wants me to do, I'll follow him. He said, that's good for teenagers. No different. That's not just good for teenagers. That's as good as long as you live. Because this is not your life. You're dead to yourself. This is Christ's life. You've been bought with a price, the Bible says. Therefore, glorify God in your body, and, <laughs> which, is, which is God. In your spirit, which is God's. Give it all to him. It's all his. He paid for it. His blood paid for your life. It's bought with a price. Now, dear friend, would you glorify him in it? Oh, how wonderful he made that decision today to do it. And as Christians, sometimes in this put-on, put-off process, sometimes it's easy to go back, isn't it? The old ways, the old temptations, the old world, the old songs, the old habits, the old haunts. They lure us back in. We have to say, oh God, forgive me. I was wrong. Thank God, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take a spiritual bath. Learn from our experiences. Hopefully put a stake down in our life and say, I don't want to go back to that anymore. I want to grow. I want to be different in 2024 than I was in 2023. By the grace of God, he will help you do it. But will you choose it? And choose it today. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to know you and then to grow in you. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, dear friend, I, I plead with you. I beg with you. I beg you this morning. Today's a day. Not someday. Not tomorrow. Maybe not sometime. When it may seem uh, more feasible or a better place or... No different the day is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, wooing you, him to, you to himself this morning. Is the Father drawing you to himself and you have doubts in your mind? I'm not sure I'm saved. Is that what you're thinking right in your mind? I'm not sure I'm saved. If you're not sure you're saved and you're thinking those thoughts right now, would you, my friend, please, my friend, be saved today? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. Continuing in your sin will leave you separated from God in a real place called hell that was not created for us, but the devil and his angels. But God commended, he communicated his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The whole reason why Jesus came was not to be worshipped, not to praise, not to do miracles primarily, but to save your soul from hell. He would, would, he would that you be saved today. Would you willing to turn from your sin, repent of it, and place your hope and faith, your trust in Jesus Christ alone, who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Would you be saved today? If you're recognizing that Jesus is the only way, that he shed his blood, that he was buried and he rose again, conquering hell, death, and the grave. Why? So you can be saved.
Oh, dear friend, turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus. You say, preacher, I've never done that. There's never been a time in my life where I've recognized my own personal sin consciously and turned from it and placed my faith in Christ alone. But today, on this morning, I want to be saved. Would you pray for me? Nobody's looking around. It's just me and you and God. Would you raise your hand and say, preacher, I need to be saved today. Would you pray for me? I need to be saved. Anybody at all? Would you raise your hand? I need to be saved today. It's the most important decision you ever make in your life. I need to be saved today. Preacher, would you pray for me? I'm doubting my salvation. I'm not sure of my salvation. But I want to be sure of it today. I want to take care of that today. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? You're here, Christian, and you're in that struggle. May I say to you, we've all been in that struggle. But maybe this morning you're losing. You're, you're losing the struggle. There's that habit. There's that hobby. There's that thing. There's that area in your life where you know, and actually people who love you around you know too. And they're trying, they're trying to help you to take those things out of your life, to remove those things out of your life because they're destroying you and they're hurting you and not allowing you to have further ministry for, to help other people. Oh, how different if those things were in your life, that habit, that sin, that thing, that relationship. How many of you say, preacher, I'm, I'm in the struggle right now. I'm in the struggle. I need help. I need God to help me. I need the prayer of the saints. Dear friend, we've all been in the struggle. It's the sanctification is the process of spiritual growth the first the first way that's first step to changing it is to admit you have a problem if you excuse it if you say well it's not bad as my wife's sin or my husband's sin or my son's sin then dear friend you'll never get help you'll never change you must confess it to agree with God about it I need to change in this area of my life and by God's grace today I'm choosing to is that you today? Would you pray for me? Anybody like that? There's an area in my life I need to change. It's me, me, you, and God just right now. Only one. I'm struggling, preacher. I'm being honest. There's some areas in my life not proud of, need to change. Would you, would you pray for me? That's the first step to change, is admit there's an area that needs to be changed. See, dear friend, you don't have to raise your hand and tell me, but God knows. And you know. And those around you who really love you, they know. Would you do something today that would change the rest of your life by getting, by getting rid of something that's destroying you and putting something on that's going to help you and help others around you? As the invitation hymn plays, let's stand to our feet. If God has spoken to your heart. You're here today and you're not saved. Would you come? If you're a man, Brother Travis would love to talk to you. If you're a woman, my wife would love to talk to you. If you're a Christian and you're just battling an area in your life, and we, we, again, we all battle. The question is, are you willing to do something about it? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to be different? Are you willing to move? Whatever it may be. Whatever that struggle may be. Put a stake down today. Say, I'm going to get rid of that. And I'm going to put on something different. Love and mercy and kindness and humility, forbearance, forgiving others. I'm going to change the day. Would you change?
for Christ's sake. Because He came and died for your sins, would you choose to be more like Him today? Oh, dear friend, I pray you'll choose it. You'll be so glad you did. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be here to worship you this morning, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for the message, Lord. Help us to take and apply it to our lives, Lord. Lord, you gave us uh, your authority for all faith and practice in our Bible, Lord. Just help us to follow that, follow after you, Lord. Lord, I feel like sometimes we kind of contain you, kind of put you in a bottle and don't, don't uh, really give you the credit of how great and how mighty and how powerful you are, Lord. Just help us to realize that we still serve a, a risen Savior, Lord. We still serve a great and mighty God, and just help us to uh, take that and and charge the world with that, Lord, and be witnesses for you, Lord, and uh, share, share the gospel with others, and be the light and the testimony that we ought to be, Lord. Lord, just uh, take us home safely this, this afternoon and bring us back safely at the next appointed time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.